Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to WNS9 Plus. I'm your host, Anthony Donardo. With me, we got Jim Rosati, and we have our special guest of the evening. We got Steven Nesbitt. He's back in the Pittsburgh market, if you might say, uh, from The Athletic. What's up, Steven? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. That's a banger of an intro. That, that thing just gets <laughs> your blood going at 9 o'clock. Yeah, well, you have to do that when you're talking pirates, because it's all downhill from there. Hey, yeah, l- lately things have tonight. been a little a little yeah. light, but hey, there, we'll get to some good stuff. We'll we'll go down memory lane. We'll talk a little about what's good with this current ball club, and and I'm sure we'll look at the rosy future ahead. Absolutely, I think. I mean, it, off day today, so they didn't lose, right? They at least split. They at least split their series against Detroit. I mean, that's better than what we've been used to lately. Yeah, no, I got a text from my dad um, after the big Tigers fan from Michigan. After the first game, he's like, we beat the big buckos. So that's good. I mean, good for everybody, right? Feel a little bit better. The two-game split, I feel like we've – going back for a decade now, we've been talking about two gamers against Detroit, and uh, that's usually right. how they end. Yeah, is there, like, some sort of, like, mandate in MLB that yeah. the Pirates and Tigers can't play a three-game series? They have to do it. They're like, no, it's not like a real rivalry. We're going to pretend it's a regional rivalry, and we'll just yeah. split it. Two games here, two games there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess that's what it is. They're like they are our like cross league ri- rival. Yeah, why not Cleveland yeah. though? You know, yeah. Cleveland's a better fit than that. Even Cleveland's like Baltimore a better could fit. be a better fit. I think Cleveland's got like Cleveland's got Cincinnati and like Baltimore's got Washington to kind of deal with. So yeah. I think they have better fits. The Pirates are just kind of like out on their own. They don't really have a. They don't have somebody to play. So Detroit, they compared with Detroit. Yeah, until Morgantown gets a major league team or something. Right. Yeah. Well, say, mind you, though, like in the 2000s when it was like the whole Pirates, ex-Pirates coaching staff was the Tigers, there was there was that at least. But now, I don't know. Yeah, it's not really there. I think I was actually the tie that, that held it all together, my, my Tigers background. <laughs> it was you? Yeah. Yeah. Damn it, Steven. <laughs> but, yeah, um, today's actually a pretty important day in – in the grand scheme of things, the Pirates, and we're bringing you on because you wrote an article on Mitch Keller. But a year ago today, Mitch Keller um, was the worst pitcher in baseball that ever existed in all of mankind, <laughs> right? <laughs> As YouTube expressed to everyone. Uh, but no, it was uh, it was a, it's a pretty bad showing by Mitch Keller. And like a year ago, Jim and I had a conversation. I think you know in the preseason, offseason, I should say, of uh, like where do you see Mitch Keller in the future? If you were a betting man, would you bet him being in this organization in two years or being DFA'd? And I know I'll speak for myself. Jim, you can speak for yourself. I said, if I'm a betting man, I'm betting on he's being DFA'd in the future. Jim? I don't remember that conversation, to be honest. <laughs> but um, I don't oh, think yeah. I would have said DFA'd. I don't you think I would have said that. Yeah. I don't think I was ready to write him off. Like, I thought maybe he just wasn't going to. He, I, I didn't think he was going to be the guy we thought he was going to be. You know, like, but I thought he could still find find enough of it 
to carve out like a number five starter role on on a team. But yeah, no one would have anticipated this. I I sure didn't. I think the reason that I would have expected them to have a longer leash on him is because this new regime came in post Huntington. And the one thing they needed to do was develop pitchers. And he was really the first test case they had, right? He is the, haven't screwed up this kid, hasn't reached the majors yet, top prospect. And so once he gets there and he gets punched in the mouth and then punched again, and then three years later, still getting punched in the mouth, like they needed to fix that guy. They couldn't go let the Texas Rangers or somebody else pick him up and fix that guy. And if Mitch Keller becomes who they thought Mitch Keller was going to be at age 27 or who he is right now in a different organization, I mean, like that, then we're just, we're just refreshing what we've already done and the entire the entire like meaning behind that change was we're going to change our development path we're going to change the way we go about things the mentality we use the uh, the philosophy we, we use and he was the prime shining example of you have to get this one right and so because the guys they they trade away they weren't products of this new regime right james and tyone was developed trevor williams and chad cooler as developed as they were they're going to be uh, Joe Musgrove wasn't somebody that was built up in the pirate system. And so Mitch was the guy they needed to prove it with. And so that's why I always thought they'd have a longer leash, but a year ago, it's a six twelve career ERA or ERA. Like you can't, you can no longer justify keeping that guy in the rotation. And so the way this story started, mm-hmm. if you don't mind jumping into some of the background on it was, um, so I live in the Boston area now and the tigers or pirates had come through, sorry, tigers background. Um, Pirates had come through second series of the season. I talked to Mitch, had a really good conversation. I've always um, jived well with him, with his family, with people in his circle, I just following him, coming up through the system. And he just seemed in such a better place coming off of the way last season ended. Opening day wasn't great, but um, he just seemed so much more confident. And so we were sitting uh, or standing against the, the dugout railing before a game. Uh, I guess during BP and got to talking just about the, the idea of like growth and evolution at the major league level, um, which is something that we see a lot, I think, but don't always talk about where, especially with top pitching prospects, you get to the majors and almost nobody just has an easy time of it. You have to change something. You're going to discover when you get to the majors, like what is it about me that hitters have an easy time with? And sometimes like with Mitch, his fastball, like there's no problem with a Mitch Keller fastball. Um, The velocity went down and that was another problem with it. Um, but even then, like his breaking stuff wasn't special. He got to the majors and he didn't look special whatsoever. And then you find out, oh, he doesn't have the command. And so they can actually just sit on stuff like he became a six ERA pitcher. And so, you know, the conversation was, how do you get here today? And like all these iterations of who Mitch Keller was that he had to change over the years. Um, we got talking through that and turns out I didn't record half of it. So I didn't have a zillion quotes from him, but it was really enlightening. It, it was thoughtful stuff from him and also. Also, I felt like I needed to see more. I feel like I wasn't justified writing that week two of the season saying, look, here's how Mitch Keller fixed everything and, and got back on track because, you know, he needs to keep proving it. And, you know, not that I like I'm worried about looking stupid, but is there a chance he got back to being a four, four or five ERA? Yeah, you know, totally. But is it more powerful if you wait a couple months and then, you know, you're talking mid-May and he's got a two something ERA and. Um, then you run that story and you talk to people and get some more perspective on it. That's what I ended up doing. But as I was writing it, the initial way I had it was something I actually done with Tyler Glass now uh, when when he was pitching for the Rays in the postseason. And that kind of like just blew my mind a couple years ago that Tyler Glass and I was pitching in the postseason and like people were stoked about it. Because um, I'd seen these stops along the way and talked to him on these little days when he was at these rock bottoms. 
and so the way I was thinking about this Mitch story initially was the same deal. Um, all right, when's the first time I remember talking to him? When's the first time I watched one of his games? It was like opening day of twenty, the year he debuted, twenty nineteen, um, at AAA. The sky, sky, the sky's the limit. Ceiling couldn't be higher. Nothing has really gone wrong. Hasn't had major injury. Um, and then what's the next scene? It's like his debut. He gets rocked in the first sitting, and like embarrassing level of rock. Uh, the next scene is like it's a year later, and he just hasn't gotten anything right. Uh, a year later, he's like. I'm asking him on Zoom over the game, after the game, like, is this eating at you? And he's like, I'm the most pissed off guy in the room. It was like the, the one quote we ever really got from him. Mm-hmm. And then a year after that, he's getting kicked to the bullpen. So it's like a series of like, it's like falling down the stairs. You know, he just keeps hitting another low and you never know where the, whether or not another one's coming. And you just assume another one is coming. Um, and then you see him just like suddenly pull out of it in the last year. And so I wanted to like, wow. How'd you do it? I've read stories about you going to the sinker. I've read about the development of the sweeper, all that sort of stuff. Like, how did you do it? And how does it feel to be going through that? Um, So that was sort of the impetus for the story. Yeah, I think, I mean, right from the beginning there, actually, uh, after, after you talk about the, you know, one year ago today, the quote that you have from his dad, just, it it was, it was a good one. Like, he's like, Oh my God, really? I guess someone has to be there, but it sucks when it's your kid. Um, so yeah, I mean, definitely you got you got a lot of good quotes from the family. You got some quotes from Keller. Uh, you got some coach, uh, some 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 quotes, and it sounds like you really dove deep into, you know, his his off season training regimen um, with uh, Tread. Tread, yeah, Tread. Um, so I guess kind of yeah, we're now to the point he gets kicked. Well, I mean, let's let's kind of fat, let's kind of rewind a little bit because yeah. really the story starts in the off season. Uh, between 2021 and 2022 you know that video gets posted on social media and we're all like oh my god Mitch Keller can throw 100 miles an hour right and the slider's looking good like the stuff looks good and so you're excited about Mitch Keller coming out 2022 and he's still getting rocked like he's still same dude yeah yeah he looks like the exact same guy it's like what what happened to this Mitch Keller that we saw during the offseason he's now just kind of reverted back to the same thing. So I guess kind of, I guess kind of just speak to that a little bit, you know, what, um, you know, how did that all start? You know, at some point Keller had to have realized like, I need to do something or I'm going to be out of this sport. Yeah. And and you even touched on that at one point where like he started looking for other jobs at at one point. Um, So I guess let's kind of rewind to off season prior to 2022. How did that whole thing start? How did he find Tread? At, how did he find Tread? What did they do to him that yeah. helped him get to where he is? If I can eat, re- rewind even farther, I mentioned that game where he said, like, I'm the most pissed off guy in the room. That was, I have the, the date on here. So June 10th of 2021, home start against the Dodgers. Uh, got got blown up and he'd gotten blown up in most of his starts so far in the 2021 season. And um I remember after that season, literally like my, my lead at, after that, that game was like, was about how Mitch Keller is not going to get sent down to the minors. Uh, they're going to keep rolling them out there. They have to, but here like, it's, it's bad. And the next day they send him to the minors. And so he sends, he spends two, two months. Well, cause it's like, well, what are you going to do? He's like the best prospect you have and he's not a prospect anymore. And you need to, right. you need to let him figure things out at the major league level, but they'd done that for three years. And so they send him to the minors. And, and so I, I asked him to go like back, go back to that headspace. Like where were, do you remember me asking that 
question because I've thought for literally I've thought for like years like maybe that was kind of an unfair question like because it was a one of the, if you've watched his interviews like so even keel just kind of explains like here's what went wrong you know and and I just I was like hey man a little hard to get a read over zoom but like is this eating at you is this like you do do you take this home with you and he kind of like but he's like yeah I'm like I'm the most pissed off guy in the room uh, and then he they ended the interview and I I always thought like I wonder if that was like fair if I just kind of like I didn't usually ask a question in that, in that way. And all the other reporters were like, you just got like the actual, an actual like emotion out of Mitch. So like, we all appreciate it. Um, and so it was never looked back negatively, but I was like, take me back there now, now that you're in a better place. And he was like, dude, nothing was, he didn't remember me asking the question. So I guess I'm, I'm off the hook, but he was like, nothing was right. My mechanics were wrong. My velocity was down. My, I was in the wrong headspace. Like nothing was right. And when you're in those situations, like it's just so, so frustrating um, but that ended up being extremely different from the, the place he was in a year ago when he gets pushed to the bullpen where, where I was like, was that like a more of a rock bottom? And he's like, no, actually the difference there was, I felt really good. It's like, I, everything felt right. And the results still were terrible, like worse than baseball, terrible. And so that's how I knew all we needed to do was like tweak some pitch mix stuff, which is way easier. Tinkering is way easier than like re overhauling. And so to that off season, yeah, he comes off of the 2021 season. Numbers are still really bad. Um, he's throwing short starts. He's not even like going deep, you know, they're not even trying to get him deep into games. Uh, if he gets into the fourth and throws 80 pitches, whatever. Um, Hey Matt, thank you, dude. Um, then, then, uh, then that's a, a win, I guess. And so it was almost like we were looking for, um, it was suddenly like this former, one of the top prospects in baseball, like when he had a good outing, it was kind of like the, the fluke, right? Rather than when he had a bad, you have a bad outing, you're like, yeah, shake it off, fluke. But like, no, when he has a good result, that's weird. Um, that's the point we'd gotten to with him. Same with Glassnow in Pittsburgh. Um, and so he goes on the recommendation of uh, Clay Holmes, who had by then gotten traded to the Yankees, to tread in um, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. And Ben Brewster, a former minor league, I don't think he ever made the majors. Um, he has co-founded that place and, and got it up and running as a place where it's what we have nowadays, right? It's like a pitching lab where you can go. It's built for a Mitch Keller, right? You can go reinvent yourself, but go build a new weapon for your arsenal. You can hone the pitches you have. You can figure out what works, what doesn't. And, and teams are doing this, right? Some teams are more advanced than others with having their own internal pitching labs. The Pirates aren't really known for that per se, like they were known for race series turning guys around. Um, they're known for having good relationships with guys. They're not known for having like the high tech lab, which I'm sure they do some of it. I'm not as, as close to the team today to like know how in depth they do on all that. But I do also know through this process, like they work pretty closely with these external labs. Like I think it's great if you can do that as well. Like that's a pretty important thing. Guys are going to go in the off season to work with these other places, whether that's drive line or tread or what have you. And so you need to be working closely with them in the training program. And so, the first step for them, uh, Devin Hayes was his his, uh, his training coordinator, was we got to get the velocity back. Because if we don't have the velocity, Devin said, like, we could add all these pitches and do all the, the magic with them, and he could be like a four or five pitcher. Like, and that'd be fine. He'd have a major league career, and we'd like not be – it would not be, like, embarrassing to, to put up the results he's putting up. But he had more upside when he came up and was had the ability to throw upper 90s. Right? doesn't have to be every pitch, but if you can – have that in the tank um that's going to really help everything everything plays off of velocity in this day and age and so the first thing he did was build up velocity with weighted ball stuff techniques mechanics i mean it's just like nerdy baseball uh, pitching stuff about 
the way you get down the mound, the way you use your momentum, the way you build, um, you know, the whole kinetic chain, the kinetic energy. Um, so he builds it up. He's got velocity. We all saw it, right? He goes and pops 101, 102 on the radar gun and people think that's it. That's all, that's all Mitch Keller needed. And then he gets, he's getting like every other start. He's getting rocked at the start of the 22, 22 season. Right. And then he has two in a row bad against the Reds who I need to look up his career ERA against the Reds. It has to be like 300. Um, it's not good. Yeah. And, and that's when they say like, Hey, we need to hit, hit like unplug there and, and talking to Ben Sherrington, he was like, yeah, we, we expected fully expected he'd be, be back in the rotation. This wasn't the same thing as us sending him to the minors. Uh, okay. Wireless grace. We'll get all as nerdy as we can get here. Um, <laughs> but um, it wasn't like when we sent him to the minors, he was a lot closer we knew that, but still like the, the results justified us changing something. And so when he, um, uh, to get up to sort of the, the point in time you're talking about, that's like he gets sent to the bullpen and it's essentially like, hey, let's go work on something. But we know big changes need to happen here, but we know like what ballpark those changes are in. It's not your mechanics are off, your conditioning is off, any any of that. Um, you know, your command is the problem, although it's always been a bit of a problem and it will probably continue to be a problem. Um, then, uh, you know, this is something we need to change on a more pitch mix level. So I want to jump in here because, again, like that bullpen outing was pretty monumental because there was something that a lot of us caught our eye and it's never really happened before. And that was like when the two scene came out and it was like, whoa, 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 whoa wait a second. Right. Because that was the one thing, too. Like you saw him pumping 100 in the offseason. And I know we talked a little bit about it. So it was like, I mean, that's nice. Like you don't want to not see that stuff. But that wasn't necessarily like Keller's problem either. Right. You know, like I wasn't sure if that was really going to save the day. So we see the two-seamer come out, and it's like, oh, oh, hold up, hold up, hold up. What's going on here? <laughs> you know, now we're seeing like an actual fundamental change. And the next outing came out, the two-seam, and then he had his next actual start after that. And it was like, oh, boy, I'm back on Mitch Keller train. What's happening here? So I guess there's been a lot of talk and dialogue on like how this two-seam became about. Who is the one that, you know, got in his ear with it? Was it? Hey, go talk to Clay Holmes and Clay Holmes like, Hey, try this grip. And he's the one that did it. Was it uh Marine who also had talks? Was it Hayes? Like where did the two scene come from initially and why was it thrown in that outing? I think you'll still get like a different story from everybody. But the one I was told um, was that essentially both sides kind of agreed at the same time. And also like the whole fan base agreed, right? Like the experience of watching Mitch Keller until a year ago was excruciating watching a guy whose body language is kind of like looked like he was a little bit owned out there right like yeah. he just didn't look like he had the confidence to that he knew he was better than the hitter um and it was a guy whose fastball looked like flat as a pancake um 94 and just flat like we don't know anything you and me but like we know that's a flat fastball like hitters seem to be just absolutely like teeing off on it they have no problem they, they're not beating anybody with that fastball um and then a curveball that was pretty good but guys mostly spit on it. And then he got, he getting himself into, into counts where he had to throw the fastball and then he's just getting blown up. Right. That's, that was the experience, right? He get himself into terrible counts so you could pick which pitches he do. And he didn't have good enough pitches to like beat you when he's in a bad situation. That was the whole experience. It wasn't very complicated. All right. And so he gets to the point last year where the results are still bad. And the story I was, I was told was Devin Hayes at tread uh, is looking at his, video from the pirates bullpens uh, his previous couple of bullpens and he's saying hey you pardon me for swearing you're cutting the sh out of the ball um in case my dad watches, i don't want to actually swear um <laughs> you're you're cutting the sh out of it and he explained it is like when 
when you're throwing the four seamer, you want like perfect true backspin. That's like perfect spin efficiency. Um, that's going to give you the ride, the carry that kind of makes it seem like it's rising. That's a, you know, Justin Verlander type of high spin. And um, with him, he's cutting it. So it has a natural cut movement. And so it's not actually doing a lot of movement, but it's basically just ruining the spin efficiency on a four seam. And so you either try to fix that, um, which they probably would have done with him in the past, or you lean into it and say, look, you're getting some natural cut the way it's coming off your hand. Let's, let's spin the grip and let's throw a two seam. And so that was what Devin said. He sent a three minute video to Mitch saying, look, I don't know what the pirates are going to say. Don't know what you think about this, but I think you're a great candidate for um, a seam shift uh, sinker. And so Mitch was in, but uh, the, according to Devin, like the Oscar had sort of the same idea at the same time. And they, they so they were all in didn't really, ultimately it doesn't matter who came so up. Everyone's playing nice, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Basically they're all like, they're like, yeah, we all, we all agreed. Great idea. Like, well, I mean, it was great. You need to change something. And so they changed that. The first, first time he throws it is uh, against Wilson Contreras. He hits him uh, inside. And, but Mitch is like, no, it was nasty. Like I could tell there was something good. Just playing catch with it, throwing it in the bullpen. Um, and the, the part that made me laugh was Mitch was like, I was like, had you ever thrown a sinker before? And he's like, actually, when I was like 10, um, I just had this like, like, like superstitious habit, like this little tick where I thought like the way to throw strikes was to go a four seam grip. The next pitch, you have to flip it to the two seam grip. And he throws, like, it didn't sink at all, but like I knew somehow I was like, that's how I'm a good, that's like my trick for how I'm a good pitcher. Um, and uh, so he was accidentally throwing sinkers as a 10 year old, but uh, had never tried it really in the pros, which seems crazy because we, wa- like, we all watched three years of Mitch having his fastball just get destroyed. Like, how, how is that not? I don't know. I don't know how that was never seriously considered. Like, how has no one been like, yeah. hey, let's try this? I know people on that. the internet, I know people on the internet said it that you think at some point, like, uh, you know, uh, somebody would, yeah. would pass it along to him. But uh, yeah, he tries that. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you, you can no longer just sit on that fastball. And if he can throw it for strikes, perfect. If he couldn't, that would be a problem again. But then you build off of it, right? Okay, then you have a four seam where you can play at the top of the zone. You've got a sinker you can work with um, that can maybe get you some quicker outs. And then they add the sweeper a little bit later, just like a couple, you know, maybe two weeks later or so. And then suddenly, like Mitch Keller's a dude, you're talking about having five, six pitches, which again, the bottom line is you need to have the command. And he hasn't in the past. And he has, you know, certainly in this last 31 starts, but uh, if you have some decent command and you have all those pitches, like that's that's a recipe that can work. As like ridiculous as it seems that you could like make those couple of switches and go from a six ERA to a two, I guess that's like that's just life as a major league pitcher, right? I mean, no, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> it can be. Yeah, I guess my um and my question is, I mean, you did you did a great job with this article too, but like in your research, all the people that you talk to, you know, what's next for Mitch Keller? Is this something where can he, you know, can he still get better? Is this peak Mitch Keller that we're seeing right now? Is there still something there that he maybe hasn't tapped into? Like, I guess kind of what, what are your impressions on, like, have they basically just said, okay, we're done. Like we, we fixed Mitch Keller or is there still like, Let's see how far we can get this. That's interesting. We didn't get into the specifics, but Devin at Tread did say like Mitch has. Mitch is the one always coming to him saying like, "What do we do next?" Like not you know he Devin went and saw his start in Boston that I was at, and he just he's he had a great game. Um, 
Reese McGuire almost ruined it with a homer around the pole, but uh, went foul and all is well and good. Um, he, he just jerked but, it a little too far. <laughs> oh boy. Yikes. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, he, like he says that, that they're going to keep tinkering. And I don't know what specifically would be next. I think you can continue to hone every pitch because if their first offseason together was all about velocity, the second one was all about um, adding a cutter, adding a weapon against left-handed and which the numbers I had in my story are like, start and like they're striking right like this is a guy who could not get lefties out to save his life the whole lead of my story was about this at bat head against refugee devers where he where he throws in like everything um but the sweeper and gets a double play line drive out of it and uh and at that point in time like Rafi devers equal his numbers equaled like the career lefty the average lefty against mitch keller in his career and now he's got a cutter that is it's working and so i can't sit here and tell you today like this is all going to keep working and I do. I can sit here and tell you that it it's all it all depends upon him keeping good enough command. And so maybe they do what I think is becoming more popular around the league, where you just like let's not try to nibble at the corners. Like I'm going to set up in the middle of the plate and let your natural the natural movement work. Um, maybe that's maybe the Pirates need to keep investing in good defensive catchers to to make that t- sort of thing work because. Um, okay. Whatever it's whatever it's done is, has worked. Well, maybe develop good defensive catches as well. You know, say it's um, a heated topic of discussion <laughs> around here. I'm not, I'm not saying extend Austin Hedges, <laughs> but um, but whatever whatever they've been doing is working there because um, I mean I don't I can't. There's a lot I can't explain about Mitch Keller. Like can can I really truly explain to you why his like why his walk rate is 6.1 percent when it was 20 percent and fit 10 percent and 8 percent? Like why he is that much better than than he's ever been. Can I really explain to you like why all the hard hit numbers, all the exit velo, like average exit velo is down like four, almost five miles per hour from two years ago. Like that's crazy. Is it really, you know, is it really just like a, he got a couple of ticks on his fastball and added a couple of pitches? I don't know. Is it more, is it a bit more confidence? Is it a mentality thing? I think it's probably a lot of all of the above. And it, it's such a fool's errand to like project um, future performance by major league pitchers. I guess a little easier with starters than relievers. We've seen so much more volume than we would have from a reliever from him, but haven't seen good volume until the last year. So um, like if we're, if we're talking like, should they extend him? I don't know, dude. Like, would it be good for him and good for them? Probably they have the money to spend. They should do things like this. Um, but specifically Mitch Keller, I don't know what he's going to be like in five years. Um, so it's a fascinating bet that they would be making. And, you know, similar for him, if he, if he turns something like that down, um, that's a fascinating bet as well because it's a guy who had, had had just seen the lowest of lows in baseball to suddenly come back and be like, wait, hold on. We're talking about all-star in 2023. Like what? Like what, what, yeah. Mitch Keller. I think that's, what's the most interesting thing here is, you know, you can look at all the contracts around the league with guys with similar service time and say, okay, you know, should he get something, you know, close to Christian Javier or something in that area. And, and then you just look and you're like, he was the worst pitcher in the league a year ago. Like, can you really give somebody, can, can you really, can you really do that um, as a team? Yeah. And if you're Mitch Keller, you know, you can look at it a few ways. You can look at it like, Hey, I was once the worst pitcher in the league a year ago. Let me, let me get this money and lock it down. Or, you know, do you bet on yourself and say, you know what? I am this good. I'm not going to sign a $45, $50 million extension because in three years from now, I think I can get $200 million, right? So it's it's like, it's going to be interesting because I think both sides have reasons to do it, but then both sides also have reasons maybe not to do it. 
Yeah. yeah. When my, my, uh, my colleague who does a lot of extension stuff, um, Tim Britton was looking at him. The comp he used was Ross Stripling, which like they're nothing alike, but also like, who would you take like a year ago? Who would you have taken? It's like, I'll take Ross Stripling a hundred times out of a hundred. It's like a solid number five. Um, as a guy now, who had like the complete three, reverse. Yeah. He's had like three ERAs for most of his career, then a five, then a four, then back to three last year. Now he's at seven. Like things have, things have gone the other direction, but, um, but yeah, with, with Mitch now, it's like, if, you know, the deal that was drawn up by my colleague was like uh, about nine a year. It's like for him, he, I, I would, I don't know this. I'm not reporting. I think he'd take that. Right. Like you, you're coming back from a career that was like complete, like we're talking about DFAs here mm. um, to have a guaranteed like five years, 9 million a year. Like that's for, for a kid from Iowa. That's pretty awesome. Um, and then if you're the pirates, like um, that's not, that doesn't work out. You've thrown some, some, a little bit of bad money before like you can you can stomach it even if he ends up just being like a number five right injury like if you had to have tommy john misses a year and a half or something that's maybe a little different but if you just pitches there's some value in that right and so um it seems like a a pretty natural i mean also the like the the way mitch gave up that info so easily it makes me think that like it's probably like pretty good talks uh in that direction but that's just me thinking um but uh I, I would not be shocked to see this happen. It's there's so much good momentum, there's so much good mojo, and he's still not going to be a free agent for a while. So, you know, could be could be a good fit there. I mean, just talk to the numbers, right? We made it a point. Talk the YouTube graphic, the worst pitcher in baseball. So since that time, 177 innings pitched. It's got a 2.95 ERA, right? 17th among all qualifying starters in that time frame. Tied with Luis Castillo in ERA. Right behind Manoa and <clears throat> Garrett. I'm sorry, not behind, ahead of Manoa and Garrett Cole. Right. So, like, this is what we're talking about. Like, this is the stratosphere he has elevated himself to. And I mean, it gets to talk to you because obviously, you know, you were in Pittsburgh, you're covered many pirate teams at the time, but now you're more national, you're broad, you've gone on with the bigger and better things, Steven. Um, like, is there anyone that you could equate to? Like, is there a story that's even similar to this? I mean, again, like we're talking about, this is the worst guy in baseball. And now, people are trying to tie the word ace to his name. Yeah. I don't think there is really like a perfect comp. There are other guys who I think were given up on like Jesus Lazardo is one where it felt like the A's gave up on him, it's, but that's more injuries type thing. Um, couldn't throw strikes and was hurt. Don't and remind so, me about another Marte trade. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So there are guys like that, but really like just look at the, top of the like the era charts these are these like his name just sticks out like a sore thumb like it just doesn't make sense in the way that so many other ones like maybe you know Evaldi is like he got hurt a bunch and he had tommy johns and whatever but um there there's nobody up here that you're like yeah he was terrible um truly terrible and like we're not saying that in a disrespectful way to mitch keller it's like no he was the graphic said it all he was worse 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 his dad remembers seeing it right like um that doesn't happen guys just don't turn it around where they're a punching bag and then suddenly they're like flirting with ace status. Right. And, and uh, it would take forever for Mitch to actually get like, we do uh, the athletic, we do a, what is it called? The, the aces project. Every offseason we talk to a bunch of evaluators and just be like, who, who, which of these 50 guys would you say are aces? Like I, even if he has like a two, five ERA this year, I don't think people I don't, like probably no evaluators will say he's an ace just because we're like, people are scared off by like the whole track record thing. It's real. And it's right. extensive. Um, but he doesn't need to be an ace for the Pirates. The Pirates don't need him to be an ace. Uh, if he can be like a, a number one, 
that's that's so much more than they they thought they were getting. Right. Uh, I forget we talked about this, but in, in the sense of like if he became a number four or five starter, I think many of us would have been happy with that. And, hey, mm-hmm. at least he's he's valuable, right? He's at least in the rotation. He can be there. And now we're looking at him like he's anchoring this rotation. <laughs> and what a yeah. huge development for this rebuild that has become. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, back to Steven, your point, like if you are able to lock him up for something in the $9 million a year range, I mean, that's what the Pirates are paying Rich Hill right now. They basically just go out there and take the ball every fifth day. So, yeah, if, if, if this isn't the real Mitch Keller and this is just kind of like this is peak Mitch Keller, he's going to do this for a year or two and then revert back to a three, four, five starter. You know, if, if he's pitching 150 innings and, and at least giving you a chance to win every time out, then he's worth he's worth that. So. Yeah, I mean the way pitch, starting pitching is valued these days, like it's that's if he is in rotation, if he's even like giving you a hundred innings a year, that's probably good enough. Um, but if he's able to reel off a couple of years, like like the quarter season, well, it's not even fair to say quarter season, like the the, the full season that we've seen since since a year ago now. Um, like that's, I mean, you get your value in like one year from that contract, right? Like you don't need him to be great the whole time. Oh yeah. Um, so. It's fascinating. I, I truly have no idea like which way that would that would go, or if if his if his camp would even like talk about the nine and ten range anymore, or if they're like, no, listen, if you want to get serious and lock him up now, then like let's talk fifteen million or something like that, um, which is crazy because considering where he was a year ago, like we're just talking about two different guys, two different careers, you know, yeah. and one of them starts yeah. on May eighteenth or whatever of twenty twenty two. All right. Well, any more questions around Keller? We want to get to some other stuff. I'm trying to look at these comments I, yeah, here. Like, yeah. Um, nothing really in the chat as far as any more questions. No, I mean, again, I'm I'm just so intrigued by him and but uh we've talked a lot a lot about him this week. <laughs> we have. we spent 30 minutes alone just on Mitch yeah. Keller right now tonight. Um, but yeah, this is all yeah. this is all great stuff though. Like it's it's something where I think as a fan and just you know you look on on pirates twitter right and it was it was every mitch keller start for his first three years i think everybody was just laser focused on each individual start like there was just so much pressure on him to perform ever since he got called up and i think everybody knew that there was more there and it was just like he never showed it and so it was just so frustrating and everybody had something to say about Keller. So it's just, it, it is, it's really nice to see the development of somebody like that, who, you know, everybody expected him to be a stalwart in this rotation for years while, when he was coming up through the minors and, you know, for, for a few years, it looked like he wasn't going to be that guy. And the fact that he's now turned into something, uh, not only just a serviceable starting pitcher, but, like he's he's up there. Like earlier this week, I was like, I I Mitch Keller, Spencer Strider, Zach Gallon, those are the best pitchers in the National League. And like I'm confident in that right now. <laughs> like he he's he's done this for 30 starts. It's not like this is like a two-week thing. Like this is a full year of data we now have of Mitch Keller being a really good starting pitcher. Yeah. And you know, yeah, Jim too, I think like he was very polarizing. So like you're talking about like everyone you know honing in on the stuff too. Like think about his career when he first comes out, his ERA was terrible. 
but all the underlying numbers support he was a good pitcher. So you you know we all know how Pirates Twitter is, right? So you have half the fashion saying he's he's garbage, and the other one saying no, no, he's really good, and everyone trying to fight why. And then the next year it flip flopped. <laughs> well, and you have the 2020 season. He has truly one of the most absurd seasons I've ever seen. Right, only a handful of starts, but it's like. I, I wrote in this story, he had twice as many walks as hits allowed. Like he was just, <laughs> he, what, what was the record? He had, he had like some record he set for like, didn't like he have like the innings or scoreless innings or something? There's like some, some record yeah. that he set, but it was like, he was, I think it was like hitless innings or something. Um, but he was walking like a guy and a half an inning. Like it was crazy. Right. He also had just like this absurd ERA to FIP. Yeah. Like, right. Number like he had a two nine one ERA. And a six seven five FIP. I'm just waiting for someone to like read yeah. the story about Mitch Keller this year, but not really like pay attention. But, like he's really getting back to 2020 Mitch Keller. Yeah, like they, <laughs> they just look at the ERA. We've seen this before, <laughs> right? That's what I'm getting at. You know, so it was like for two years, it was like this this weird stuff he was putting up. Dude, but yeah, ER, so again, I think ERA? that's why like everyone's like laser focused on him because everyone wanted to prove their point for one. Yeah, and uh, then we saw you know in 2021 just. Whew, but yeah, I, his, I just I can't be happier for him. Just like yeah. I don't know him, right? But just like he seems like a really nice guy, really good guy. Um, and I like to like realize like how analytical he is and stuff. So that's also like you talk about the two scene. Like I just don't understand like how this was so prolonged with again like how analytical he is with his pitching and stuff like that. So I don't know. Anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. But well, we could. I was gonna say that the ERA plus for twenty twenty is a one fifty seven. Again, you're going to take that and run with it. Like, he was a great pitcher. Uh, the FIP 672. Those those uh, numbers shouldn't exist aside, like alongside each other. This should be like a something should blow up there. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it, it is. Um, it's it's crazy, and I think I think there can become a point, and it's again going back to the point of how important it is for the Pirates to develop a pitcher like this, where a guy gets too many voices in his ear, he will have a you know the dad, the high school coach, the college coach, the the minor league coordinator, you know, I mean, at one point, wasn't he sent down to work with um, Joe yeah. Hanrahan, I think? Joel um, yeah. And, and I'm not like saying that was bad or anything, but, like, they're basically like, hey, people need to fix this kid, and you get a bunch of voices. And and for him, it just seems like he was able to, not necessarily, not necessarily you know, a bad sign for the Pirates, but he was able to go to Tread and be like, these are the people I'm really locking in with, taking what they take, you know, what they say seriously. I need to be, like, hands-on throughout the offseason. And he comes into the season, and he has – you know, better feel for where he's at and the Pirates are able to to help him out with that. I'm not sure exactly how teams are going to handle this delicate dance of like working with outside um, training parties because they're they're so, so advanced that like I think players are going to get better going there, but you have to agree with their methods and all that. But um, but yeah, I think he was able to listen to people that he finally agreed with or something. And if, you know, if the Pirates aren't, if you want to, you're a second year guy and you want to throw a sinker because you think you're going to be better at it and the Pirates don't disagree. Like, are you really going to, are you really going to tell them no and just start throwing a sinker? Like, I, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure exactly what the situation was there, but there have to be, a, there has to be an alignment there and an agreement that we're going to change the way we're, we're like proceeding with our top prospect and takes cojones on his part, takes some foresight on their part that this guy's stuff is not going to be good enough at the major league level. And it just took till he's 27 to figure it out. That's all. That's all. Well, yeah, I guess we could probably move on from Mitch Keller then if you want to talk some other pirate stuff. Yeah, so I mean I want I want to just talk about <clears throat> I mean, like I said, you 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 kind of know, you know this fan base pretty well, you know the organization pretty well from your time. How long were you on the beat here? 5, 6 years? 
Yeah, I was only like technically on the day to day beat three years. Um, yeah. My, the first game I covered was the uh, 2014, uh, uh, what's it called? Wildcard game. Okay. And, um, I, but I wasn't like covering, I was like writing scene stuff as we call it, like A1 type of like, uh, here's what the fans are doing tonight. Um, the people all came into the ballpark and so, that was Boston. And, um, so the 2015, 16, and 17 seasons, I covered full time, and then I switched to a, a feature enterprise role. But I was still like, it was the team I knew best in town, so I was still around them for uh, 17 and 18, and then uh, 19 a bit, and then 20, 20 obviously got weird, and then we moved out here, 22. Yeah. So I guess I want to talk about the start of this season for the Pirates and just yeah. the roller coaster that it's been, and and. Uh, it's April 29th. The Pirates beat the Washington Nationals 16 to 1. They would go to 20 and 8 on the season. They are, they by far have the best record in the National League. You know, we kind of are, are in our own little Pittsburgh bubble here. You know, so you're, you're in Boston, you write about everybody, you're, you're around other national writers. So I guess, you know, at that point in time, April's coming to an end. The Pirates are the best team in the National League. <laughs> like, what are people thinking? Like what? Like what's what's just the vibe about the the twenty twenty three Pittsburgh Pirates at that point? I think it. I mean, this will tend to happen with pop up teams like this. Like it's it's a good feeling. And it's it's uh, a good sign for the future. But no one believes it at this point in the season. Um, so I do a, a weekly power ranking. Uh, I enjoy it. People will get mad at every single ranking ever. But it's three of us that do it. So our our numbers are just kind of our rankings go together and we take the average of, of the three. And so the pirates, it took a while for them to like climb up the rankings because they start in the twenties because people think they're going to be bad. And then they have a great record. So you start to slowly move them up. And I was probably higher on them than, than other people were, but it's, it's just a question of like, for, for an exercise like that, are, how much are you taking in? Like, like, what is, what are you really saying? Like, is it the best teams as far as like who's played the best so far? Is it like, who do I think in world, win a world series? Cause that's a very different thing. Um, uh, but at some point you have to respect like what they've done and they beat teams. They beat some good teams. Uh, they hung with some really good teams and they were off to just an incredible start um, on a number of levels, especially in the lineup. And so I think people just started to, to say good for them. Like it, it started to be less of like a, from a national perspective, people thinking like Pirates are just going to sell off again and all, all the best players are probably gonna be traded soon. Look for the, you know, who's the best Pirates guy. You can probably scoop them up at the trade deadline. Um, no, it became more of like, oh, these guys are part of the core. Okay, Brian Hayes is, is sticking around, even if Brian Reynolds gets signed to an extension during all this too. Yeah, yeah. Reynolds. Yeah. Reynolds. It looks like he's sticking around as as much as you know he asked for a trade and it didn't happen. So I think like the the jokes at their expense probably start to peter out a little bit, um, which is a good thing. You got to get out of the joking stage, right? Like that's part of your rebuild. Is you you stop being the punchline, and so they got there, and I think they're they're still taking steps forward this year, but reality just struck right i mean you hit may and no one is hitting um i mean brian reynolds is a different player right now and do i think that'll even out over the course of his million year career uh or million year deal uh yeah i think it'll he'll be a good ball player um but that's just the, the team you are right now you don't have room for error you don't have the depth you don't have the veterans who will be less prone to those swoons um you don't have a whole whole rotation behind mitch keller so that is the team they are right now they are not a top 15 team in the majors i don't think right now um but could they be top 20 sure like they're they're making the steps in the right direction um but eventually there has to be an investment in this team that's that's like proven talent 
and that you're not just juggling the Miguel Andujars and, and uh, Chris Owings on the bench, you know, like you have to have someone, someone steady at every position and they're not, they're not at that point yet. And so they, they were there a decade ago and we'll see how quickly they can get back there. But uh, nationally, I think people like the, it just stopped being such like a, a punchline. Um, and I don't think they're back to being a punchline just because they had a couple bad weeks. Like I think the, I think you really can change the national um, sort of perception of you with a start like that. And then I think they did. <clears throat> so with you being in Boston now and such, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm in New Hampshire, just North of Boston in case anyone's asking. That's the new. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, over there. I mean, so obviously we talked about this a little bit too, you know, Charrington comes from Boston. Um, a- any talks, anyone, any feel up there about, you know, Charrington still. And, and what are your thoughts about Charrington in this rebuild? Hmm. Cause you covered obviously mostly of the, the, you know, Huntington era. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of, I kind of straddled the middle a little bit. Um, but yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, it's like my throat. <clears throat> you guys just hang in there. So he was like, I was about to drop a bomb, but yeah. I have, I can't say that. Yeah. It's good. No, thank goodness. We're not, thank goodness. Not, we're not live. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> I, so the perception around here of Charrington was, I mean, people, people like him. He was, um, he was well-respected. He was here for some really important years as they were building up, not as a GM, but as um, part of that front office here. And so he's well-respected. There was a nice book written about him and his, uh, his, his, his ball clubs that he built, uh, helped build. Um, but it got to a point where like they, they, they were trying to strike gold a little bit in Boston where they had won a surprise world series um, with very little relative investment compared to the past, they were kind of hitting reset and got some <clears throat> bargain free agents that turned into like superstars that one year and they, they win the world series. Um, but he couldn't sort of like sustain that. And that was when they brought in Dave Dombrowski to like do what Dave Dombrowski does, which is just like spend every, spend every penny to like make the big yeah. league club better. And, uh, train and that was entire it. farm system. Yeah. <clears throat> that was, it. it would be hilarious if Dave Dombrowski came to Pittsburgh and Bob was just like, <laughs> listen, <clears throat> we're going anywhere you want with this payroll. Do what you want to do. And it's like, it would be the most ridiculous Pirates roster Whoa. ever. Just I'd be down. It. I'd be Let's in. I'd be, I'd be in 100% for Dave Dombrowski. Like one or two years of them. Give it to Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like your favorite single A and like rookie ball uh, prospect. He's gone already. He's like so traded immediately. Absolutely. Um, he just like pulls a Padres. Like what's happened to the Padres? Like, let's just do that now. Yeah. Um, so there's an idea for you. Bob Nutting. Um, but um, so I think he's, he's well-liked. It was a, it was a little bit of a weird chapter for the Red Sox and that they were not going about it in the traditional way, but they won a world series anyway. Um, so in Pittsburgh, I mean, yeah, there you go. I mean, let's, let's, let's make that happen this year. Right. Right. <clears throat> he's got to be available. Um, I think generally I don't have a huge problem with, with what he's done. I think, he was brought in for us to, to do a rebuild and he only came in because he knew he could do a full rebuild. Um, he wasn't able to do that in Boston. That's just not how they, sorry, I got to center myself here. That's just not how they do things. It's not like there's no appetite for that. There's not a willingness right, from the fan base right. to, to sit through that. Not that there's a willingness in Pittsburgh, but they've sort of made their calculations and said that fans will stick around. Um, where in yeah. New York, it wouldn't happen. In Boston, it wouldn't happen. The Dodgers, it wouldn't happen. Um, 
So good for those fan bases. They don't have to sit through that. Um, and so he's getting there. I think it's, I think it's ridiculous how long these rebuilds take. I think there needs to be a middle ground between saying, let's be horrible for a couple of years and then saying, okay, let, that's been, that's pretty bad. We've done a pretty bad thing to our fan base. Like our, our brand, our image is really gone in the tank for a couple of years. They're, like the Pirates were very well, well respected for a few years, right? Like it was a, they were a joke. And then 23 to 15, they were like the best story in baseball. Yeah. And then, and then 16, 17, it's like, hey, you're trying, you're still trying. You got these start, like you got Kutch, you got Garrett Cole, you're still trying. And then, and then it was like, a, tried too like you tried for too long and then you make too it, hard <laughs> and then you're like trying to make it build a little bit of a bridge and then you suddenly get hot in july and you're like uh-oh we need to go for it and then you make a horrible trade that ruins everything and so so like that to their credit like they were they were respected at that point even if maybe they're a little stubborn and not willing to maybe maybe take the l's when they needed to especially in that the before making that trade but um but he came in to, to do the full-scale rebuild and knew he had the time to do it. And so uh, we can argue over how quickly that needs to happen, but you can also argue over how much investment your uh, owner is going to allow you to, to make in free agency. You can't you can't stay out of the free agent pool and when, when in the majors, I don't think, uh, unless you're developing like the Rays are developing. Um, the Pirates haven't come close to developing like those teams, right? I mean, you look at the guys who are impacting this year's team um, – I mean, we could call Mitch Keller a success story, but like, is he like he is, but it took till he's 27. And so <clears throat> it's uh, certainly a success story, but also like not the timeline you, you were planning on. Right. If you're planning you can't have everyone go. be Mitch Keller. You can't all wait till <laughs> 27. And so <clears throat> you look at the rest of the rest of the team. It's like, you're not churning out guys in the same way. Some other organizations are you've, you've developed some really solid major leaguers, but it's not like they're, they're just, coming out of like just teaming at triple a and coming to the major leagues and, and hitting the ground running. Like look at Cabrera Hayes. Like he hasn't hit the major league level. If we just say it outright, he's a great defender and he can still turn into like a valuable player who will outplay his contract and all that. He hasn't hit. And so you have to figure out what you're going to do about that. Um, but beyond that, if you're not going to develop like a full complement, a full lineup, you have to sign these guys. You have to be willing to do that. And if you're taking yourself out of the pool for that, you just you're you have such a razor thin margin of error because how are you going to get them otherwise? You have to trade for them, and you make some really bad decisions trading, unless you're like a brilliant front office who just never makes a wrong move. And you can even I don't know the the Rays have done so many weird things, but you know they've they've done dangerous trades, they've done uh, under the radar ones, and they they've popped. But um, you, you even look at you even look at teams like the Cardinals who seem to do everything correct, and they traded Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallen for Marcelo Zuna. And Raz, Randy Rosarena was was with them. <laughs> yeah, like they, right. How much would they so, like him right now? Yeah. So it's such a dangerous game to play. You know what's not dangerous? Just throwing some money at someone in free agency. Like throwing two years and 20 million at somebody, that's not dangerous. That's just someone's money. And so if you can't do that and you want to own a ball club, like you're, you're the one handcuffing the ball club, right? Like if you're the one saying, we got to do it this different way, that's on you. It is on you. You can, you can argue that, that we're, we're, we're built different in this, this small market. But if you can't get a, a TV deal good enough, you can't get enough people in the, in the stands so that you can throw a little bit of money, a little bit of bad money in free agency and make, make a mistake or two. Um, like that's ultimately an ownership problem. And I'm gonna, like, go to my grave saying that. Like you need to be able to make some mistakes in free agency. Um, yeah. Even if it's going to cost you um, 
a couple million and, and just look at the pirates historically they have not done that and so to as much as the pirates will continue to say yep when we're ready to ready to win essentially we'll turn the turn the, the, the faucet on um i gotta see it because even when 23 to 2015 you didn't do it in, the, in a real way you kept liriano you you know you kept some guys around you signed some extensions certainly which they're doing now but um you can't not play in free agency you need to be able to bring guys in to, to fill in the roster even if you're not going to get the stars you need to be able to sign zach eflin right you need to be able to go get that guy who when the, your rotation falls apart in tampa you're like, oh, good thing we signed Eflin. And then we bring up Todd Bradley, our top prospect. You know, you, get, you have to be able to backfill. And so developing internally alone, even if you have a, a book named Homegrown, like um, you, have to be able to, you have to be able to sign from the outside because there's so many risks, so many pitfalls in, in uh, developing and so many risks in trading. So if you're, if you're just relying on those, I think you're asking for yourself to make a big, big enough mistake that everyone gets fired. Yeah, I, I agree. And I even think like the, the Pirates payroll is at a point right now where you can even like you should be in play for these stars. Like when 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 Manny Machado hits free agency and he's wanting a 30 million dollar year deal and your payroll is at 60 million. You sign Manny Machado, you're still a sub 100 million dollar payroll yeah. like there's. I'm I I I understand like the economics in baseball. I'm not expecting the Pirates to spend like the Dodgers or you know the the Yankees or the or the even like the Rangers, right? But spend or like those big yeah, market. Like, spend like the Reds. Spend like the Reds. Spend like the Brewers. Like like put together a 120 million dollar payroll. Like there's no reason why you can't do that. I think and uh, and if they it, until they're willing to show me that. Because even at their peak payroll, they never got that high. Like they yeah. they they got higher than they are now, but they never got that high. Give me give me a year or two where you're throwing 140 million dollars to this team, and yeah. let's see what happens. Yeah, and if you can do that alongside developing in a better way, then the, now you're cooking. Like now that that ideal of like the perpetual playoff team that they projected for so many years. I can remember so many years sitting at spring training, Bob Nutting coming coming down for his one press conference and saying like, we're not going to rebuild like those other teams. Like we think there's a way to, to do this, like making a, a contending team every year. And they tried to their credit. They tried. Um, but eventually like you just, you just um, you're doing it that way. It's either just not going to work or you're going to be so desperate to make it work that you're going to make a mistake. And uh, that trade, the, the Archer trade was not the only reason that things fell apart for that regime, but I mean, we all, it was like the nail in the coffin, right? Um, and it exposed a lot of other problems they've had. And then, um, yeah. So so I, I just think they have to, at some point, be able to pump the payroll. And no, they can keep telling you you can, but being in, trust me, being in a national role, you hear a lot from teams and a lot from the league. And you realize people are just like spinning you left and right on things. And until the Pirates show they're going to do it, it's just spin. It's just them telling you like, yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. Trust, trust me, trust me. Well, what happens when you get there? And then you don't want to give, you know, your number three starter $10 million a year, right? What happens if you're like, no, I think we got this this prospect coming up at double A. You might be able to be our guy. It's like, well, you got to have like eight starting pitchers or nine or 10. So throw some money at Zach Eflin. Like, let's let's shore this thing up. That's how like real teams do it. Let's go to a little Phil happy story here. Um, how did you feel about Kutch coming back to Pittsburgh? Oh man, that was cool. It was cool. Um, yeah, he was he was a guy who I was not there for his MVP year. 
but I was there when he was still really, really good. Um, still at his best in a place that like just the, the confidence and swagger that dude had uh, was so cool. And every, it felt like once every two months, maybe you'd come up to him and, and uh, start talking. You just get into a great conversation about things. And you realize like, I'm talking to one of the best players like playing today. That is really cool. Um, he is the name that ever, on this team that everyone knows, whether I'm talking to a Tigers fan or a Mariners fan at a wedding in the uh, middle of nowhere or like a Dodgers. Everyone knows Kutch. And um, he had such a cool perspective. And it almost it was it was a guy who had somehow just uh, like adopted Pittsburgh as his home, not just because they gave him a bunch of money, but he met someone from there. He wanted to put down roots there, um, you know, even after he'd gone on to San Francisco and New York and Philadelphia. Um, and so it made all the sense in the world. I just didn't know if the pirates could make it happen and, or would be willing to make it happen. And, or if they even like sort of reasonably, if they would think like, no, we really want to play these young players and he's going to take up a roster spot at those positions or whatever. So, I mean, credit to him for making it happen. Credit to, to Bob Nutting for get, understanding how important it was that that happened. Um, I'm usually not one for like thinking that homecomings are, are smart things to do. But it's been awesome. It's been a feel-good story at a time when the Pirates have been, after years of being so bad, needing something like that. And so it's it's been uh, it's just been really cool to see. As soon as I saw it, I just kind of broke in his mind. Like that's cool. You don't see things like that every day. One twenty waiter runs created plus. Did you also see this version of Cutch coming back? <laughs> um, no, and I don't know how long it'll stay. But it's just like he said, he was such an elite hitter. But then his bat speed just never – I mean, when I catch clips of him in other, other cities, you know, in Milwaukee or something, he's like – just didn't seem to be the same – quite the same player, able to catch up to fastballs in the same way. Uh, he just – you just never saw him getting beat with velocity when he was in Pittsburgh. And so he's always been a guy I think he's going to get on base. He'll still, I think, be a positive value for your team. But as the legs went away, or it seemed like they did at least, um, as the defense kind of went away – um, the bat was all he had. And so was he really going to be that valuable? Like had he kept all those things, maybe he wouldn't be sort of in the pirates price range when he hit free again. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's good to see that it's in there. Right. And he's not just like, it's not just, uh, not just that he's hitting for, for some power, but it's like, he's walking more than he has in the recent past. He's not striking out. Like he's just, he's a good hitter, man. He is like, he hasn't, he hasn't lost it. Um, and that's cool to see when a guy is coming up in the back half of his career and you don't want someone to come back, you know, home here and just not be the, like be a, be a shell of the guy you remembered. Um, that's cool. It, it's just like a, it's a cool story. And um, also I have to think that it's just like invaluable to the rest of the team to have a guy like that around when they, you know, they have a more veteran core uh, crew this year, certainly than they have in the past. But like, man, if you're trying to like get serious in that clubhouse, and show them like what a winning ball club can look like. There's nobody better than Kutch walking in there to show you like, yeah, this is the guy who made it happen when it last time it happened. And before him, it was 20 years. And so like, this is the guy who made the, the thing happened in all of our lifetimes. Uh, well, he maybe not everyone, but uh, me and some of the players. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree like a hundred percent. Like the fact that he's come in here and he's, he's actually been good. Like he's been a staple in this lineup. He's, he's not necessarily, he's not, he's not vintage peak cutch by any means, but he's, he's a productive player and that just kind of makes the whole story feel even better. I don't know if he's going to maintain a 120 way runs created plus, but there's nothing from what I've seen that shows that he can't be 
an above average hitter for the remainder of this year, especially with the way yeah. that he's walking and the at-bats that he's putting up. But yeah, I mean, you've got some milestones he's closing up on too. So, I mean, we'll get to see a 300th home run here soon. He's six homers away. He's 20 hits away from 2000. So yeah, it's just, I mean, cool story. And, and I mean, I'm 36 years old, so I'm, 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 I'm the same age as Kutch. Um, and at no point in my life has there been a Pittsburgh pirate anywhere close to this guy. So he's just, he's special to the city and the fan base. And I'm not sure if this is true, but I'm going to say it anyway. I feel like this is a guy whose career also like kind of needed it, kind of needed this, this like bow to put on it. And I don't know what he'll do after this. And I don't know if he'll stick around or keep playing. Um, But this guy, I remember when I covered him, I remember doing, I don't remember if I, I must've written at some point, but like considering his hall of fame case, and at that point of his career, it was like he was top five MVP, like four straight years, five straight years or something. Um, and it was real at that point. I mean, for a lot of guys, it's real until they hit 28 or something. Um, oh, boy. Sorry. Um, and for his career to turn into journeyman guy who jumps around from team to team and is just kind of like a hired bat uh, was was sort of sad to see. Right. It was sad that that he gets injured and things don't go as well as it could have been philly and and he doesn't turn out to be part of like a world series type core any of the stops he made which were you know contending sort of spots at least the giants thought they were for a minute um got rid of brian reynolds for it um but uh i so i shouldn't say he needed it. it's not like he'd have like a like a, a bad career or something to leave a bad taste in your mouth necessarily but how 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 much better that it's not like his his career ended with a stop in uh, milwaukee and then a stop in seattle and then no one signed him and then like a minor league invite or something uh or spring training invite somewhere else and then and then eventually just fell off rosters um like if this is the way he wants it to end or if they want to sign him for another year and that's how it wants to end or something like that um that's such a better ending to his career than it sort of looked like it was trending world series in pittsburgh that's how it's ending (laughs) perfect he'll throw the first pitch (laughs) yeah Yeah, no, the Hall of Fame case, he's he's probably not in that conversation any longer. Yeah. Especially not playing defense. Um, unless unless like the Pirates there. unless he basically leads this Pirates team to a World Series and and like <laughs> ends up like winning the World Series on a walk-off homer, then maybe you could 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 let be like, eh, you know, do we do we let him get in? He it's he won the World the Maz, Series with the Pirates. The Mass you know, so. Hall of Fame career. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> he, Dude, he looks it was like such one a... of those it was such a dramatic fall off. It's still even at this point hard to kind of comprehend. Um, like he was, he was for six years, like a one forty four OPS guy, OPS plus. He's a nine hundred OPS type hitter, and he was stealing bases. He was getting Gold Gloves, um, and then it was just so immediate, right? Mm-hmm. It's so immediate. He goes from a guy who has like a four hundred on base percentage to like struggling to get like a, a 340 and remember he like he would always get a, uh, he got off to a slow start and like eh, mm-hmm. it's just it's early it's early he had that confidence and then and then it just kept taking longer and longer and and then he's still a productive hitter but by the time he got traded it was like i was no longer you can only bet on him to be returning to vintage cutch even though he was only 30 years old um and so bummer to see right i mean if I'm not, it's not like I was a kid growing up watching him, uh, but if you were, like, 
it's such a quick downfall for your favorite player. Um, and as you see him trade away and bounce from Giants to Yankees to Phillies to to Milwaukee, um, like I said, cool to cool it to be able to sort of put this cap on his career. Anything? Uh, anything else Pirates related, Jim? I don't think so. I kind of want to talk yeah. to uh, just about you a little bit, like catching up on Uh-oh. you and again. I'm Uh-oh. sure many people followed you around Pittsburgh. And now you're out there and such. Um, I mean, how's life with with Nesbitt and the national news? Oh, dude, it's good. No, it's fun. Um, yeah, it's fun. So when I was, let's see, when I was in Pittsburgh, my career path went um, all the way back 2013 when I moved there. Um, at the Post Gazette, I was the West Virginia football writer and Duquesne basketball writer, the big stuff. And then I graduated when Jen Menendez, if you remember that name, she left um, left the beat. And so I f- took her spot alongside Bill Brink, truly one of the great people in um, in baseball. And uh, and so I did that for three years alongside him and then moved in the enterprise role, um, did that for a couple of years. And then the athletic came along and said, hey, do you want to do the same job for us and more money and stuff and like not at a interesting newsroom. And I was like, that sounds nice. Um, <laughs> so so I did that. But our, our long term plan was always to get over here to New England. Uh, this is where my in-laws are. This is where. um my wife grew up in, in Boston and um, I'm from Michigan. My folks are still back there, but we knew we just wanted to uh, end up in this direction. We were kind of on a, on an Island in Pittsburgh, which was fine when you don't have kids. And then when we had our first in 2020, which is just a rough time to have a kid anyway, blessed time to have a kid, but also just like middle of COVID and trying to keep a baby healthy. And he had um, heart complications and all sorts of things that, that it was suddenly very clear to us. Like, you, you can't be on this island anymore. Um, and so um, it was, and then also just like the, the, the way COVID was, it was like the last two years in Pittsburgh. I felt that year. Okay. Sorry guys. Um, last two years in Pittsburgh, I felt like I wasn't in Pittsburgh cause we were just at home, you know, whether that's cause you have a baby or cause it's cause it's COVID times and, and all that. So um, was bummed with the way things sort of ended there. It was not, you know, in the clubhouse talking to guys, it was like, no, you're over zoom and could be doing this from your, your office or at the ballpark or whatever. Um, just a different, different feel. Um, but the world kind of opened back up to us when we moved over here and you have some more help with the kid. Uh, we had our second on the way and we moved and, uh, have two boys now. And, uh, it's awesome, man. Life is really good. Uh, we, uh, I watch a ton of baseball, but it's, it's kind of scattered all over the place. Uh, like it'll be, uh, just like watching MLB TV and, and popping on every game at once. And, uh, and uh, yeah, we have a two-and-a-half-year-old. We have a seven-month-old, both doing well. Uh, we just found out that the youngest has peanut allergy and egg allergy. So that's been our latest hurdle is learning how to, like, deal with allergies. We've never done that before. I don't oh, yeah. have any. My wife doesn't. No one in my family has any. Um, so that's new. But uh, but beyond that, it's it's great. We went to Fenway for our kids' first game back in April, and uh, Red Sox against um, Angels. Because I in spring training, I kind of got I got just restless, and and I was like, oh, Shohei and, and Mike Trout coming, like that'd be pretty awesome to say that's your first baseball game ever. So we got tickets for that with the grandparents and went to it, and it was great. It was so much fun. Uh, my son Luke, who's two, he had a blast you know, eating fries out of the little helmet and all sorts of things like that. And um, we got a two-run homer from Justin Turner, 
that was one run for the, the angels. That was it. It was an hour 57. We watched the whole thing, stayed at our seats the whole, for almost the whole time. Only one meltdown. Impressive for, for having I, I, my, yeah. my expectations were so yeah. low and we saved the whole thing and it was great. Yeah. So, uh, so that was pretty cool. Just I was take. enjoying the pitch clock. We, I was like, yeah, I almost wrote, <laughs> I almost wrote a column after that game. But I was like, that's the audience is like other parents who like baseball. I was like, yeah, maybe there's not enough there. So, um, so, so that was pretty awesome to be able to share that with the kids. And we're, we're a half hour from the double uh, a Toronto um, New Hampshire Fisher cats. And so well, I think we're going to go, I just had my birthday the other day. We're going to go to celebrate my birthday this coming week uh, at a Fisher cats game. And that'll probably be just less, even, even easier. I would imagine than, a, than Fenway. Um, but uh, living a good life, man. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Sweet. What's uh? What's the most fun story you had? Fun story isn't like that I've written. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I I bounce around to all sorts of weird stuff. Um, this season or just like like recent, just your time with athletic, whichever. Oh man. Um. Okay, the one that I cared about the most was not was not baseball. Um, it was I wrote up Michelle Briere, who's the, the former Penguins, like their first star, who, um. Uh, didn't die in a car accident, but he in 1969 he basically became in, uh, incapacitated in a car accident and died a year later. Um, and his numbers retired um, in the rafters alongside Mary Lemieux. And um, I want to know what happened there, so I went up to because I knew he had a son that was a year old at the time, and so I knew and I I'd, I'd seen like someone do a video on him at some point that he was <clears throat> an architect living in Montreal. So I was like, well, I can go up there and 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 talk to him and sort of learn what's it like to be the son of someone who's um, who's known really just for, for, for this, for like a tragic ending um, and wrote a, wrote a big old long story. That was um, one of the things I've like cared most about in my whole career. Uh, just trying to, I love to operate in a space where like, I know no one else is writing that story and it's no one's writing about it 50 years later. I knew that. And so it's nice to be able to take your time with it, to go up there, to drive to this uh, uh, Malartic, uh, Quebec and middle of nowhere. Only people only speak French and <clears throat> I was born in France, but I don't speak it great. I spoke English at home when I was living in France. And so I was like trying my best to speak French. It was tough, but it was uh, rewarding. It was the weirdest place I've ever been to on earth. <clears throat> it's like the edge of a gold mine. If you ever look up Malartic um, Quebec, it's uh, it's literally like falling into a gold mine. Um and like a gold mine is overtaking the town. And um, it was, uh, that was the craziest one. That was the one where I was like, oh yeah, the athletic, you can like, you can really spend some resources to do something awesome. Um, like the post that probably would have let me do it, but the athletic, it was like, they heard my idea and they were like, go, 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 go. Like get, go get a rental car and get, get up to Quebec and do what you want to do. So that was, that was an awesome one. And then baseball wise, it's, it's um, I just look for opportunities for like unique things. Things that can only like really happen today or tomorrow or whatever day that happens, and so one of them that happened last year was I got it was a Sunday night. We had just had my in laws over for, um, I think it was my father in law's birthday, <clears throat> and then my editor, one of them, Mark Carrig, calls and he's like, "Hey, did you see what's happening on Twitter?" And I'm like, "No." And uh, he's like, "Well, there's a brawl between the Mariners and Angels, and uh, Jesse Winker got tossed, and." Um, I think the only story at that point was there was a little girl 
there who'd gone viral before for like being at a game where girls got <laughs> tossed. The Joey Votto girl, yeah. The Joey yeah. Votto girl. Yeah. She yeah. was at a second game, and Jesse Winker, who had become her friend, yeah. he gets tossed. And so I was like, that's funny and and um, sad for her. And so <laughs> my editor was saying, hey, Trent Rosecrans can get you the mom's number, um, but he can't talk to her. He's busy. So can you call her? Talk to her. And like, yeah, let's do it. So I call her up and then as I'm like waiting for her to call me back, I see on Twitter that like something weird is happening at the game where some fan has like sent a pizza to the clubhouse um, to Jesse Winker to say thank you for like standing up for standing up for the Mariners. And um, and then that fan is like tracking the whole way to see if it's happening on the I don't remember what app it was, but DoorDash or something. Um tracking and sending updates of like i think it might actually get there and no way the I think, like and then jesse winker ends up saying like thanks for the pizza i got it uh but just the absurdity of like ordering a pizza to the clubhouse and actually getting to the guy and so i stayed up until two in the morning that that night talking to this the mom of this girl who's gone viral again um the person who ordered the pizza to the clubhouse and then the delivery driver who who delivered it and not only that but has also had like a GoFundMe started for like to say thank you as people send tips to the delivery driver. And it's like life-changing money for this guy is I talked yeah. to him and his wife and they're like, they're like, they've just come over in the past couple of years from like India or, or I think it was India. Um, but there's like new to the country and this, like this is his job right now. And they're just like, this is like changing our lives. And they donated a bunch of money. It came, it was the most absurd story. I, when I started writing the story, it would, did, was not anything like it turned out as, and uh, that's crazy. And it was like my mm -hmm. most popular story of the year, like just brought in like as, like so much traffic. And and uh, I remember going to the All-Star game not too long after that. And one of the writers, um, I think it was Chelsea Janes uh, from the Washington Post. And then she was just like, I love that you can just like write ridiculous stuff. And like you, you just have an eye, you just have an eye for like something that like there's no business writing that story. Right. Or like 1994, like would anyone have written that story? No, it's like a very online very 2022 mm -hmm. story and i love i love just having an eye out for those things and um and so like i have the freedom here to do that where i don't have to be <clears throat> writing every night don't have to be focused on a certain team and if you know the pizza story calls i can go chase it <laughs> i remember i remember you doing that story i remember yeah that was interesting i need to read the uh I need to read the Michelle Briere one because I remember as a little kid going to the civic arena, sitting in like the five, the F level, you know, looking up. And at that point he, I think was the only Jersey up there. So it's like, yeah, I was like, who is this guy? I've never even heard of him. And, and you know, you, you see the years on there and it's like, he only played for like one season. It's like, why is his number up there? So yeah. I'll have to check out that story. Yes. I love getting clicks like four years later. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you know how like, you guys know how, how like internet traffic works. Like everything mm -hmm. spikes day one. And then like by like day three, you're not getting any clicks. Like right. any, any yeah. story I've ever written. It's like any traffic I'm getting is, is happening the first three days. Um, so whenever someone comes across it years later, you're like, that's rare. So I'm going to, I'm going to send everyone I can back to that there story. Go. There we go. No, we're gonna send you I, five I, more clicks tonight. I've got it pulled. I've got it pulled up right now. When we're done. <laughs> Everyone, go check it out. <laughs> Forget about the Mitch Keller article. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> Old news. <laughs> Sweet. Well, we want to let Stephen go. Yeah. Is that, is that all we had to talk about? 
we covered it all. Yeah, we covered a lot. The, the Keller stuff was great. Um, yeah. Like I said, just uh, you you offer a, a, a pretty unique perspective on the team just since you spend so much time around them. Um, and like I said, now you you kind of deal with everybody. So, yeah, no, ne- ne- thanks thanks for hopping on. This was this was this was excellent. Of course, sure. guys. So. Of course, thanks for having me. Definitely. So, see you around, everyone else. Thanks for watching. Bye bye. See you guys. Hey, you all. Thank you for watching. I know we try to provide the most entertaining content that we can, uh, and we'd love to spread it to as many people as possible. So uh, I know it doesn't seem like a lot, but if you could take the five seconds to like this video and subscribe to the page, it helps out so much more than you know. Thank you, and let's go Bucks.